That's good news in a world that's being incredibly shaken. His word will never fail. He'll never fail. And you know, when you, when you understand what Jesus has done for you, when you understand that he saved you literally from hell to bring you into his eternal kingdom, you cannot help but get a fire for mission burning in your heart. You know, I just think it's so awesome. You know, God loves every person on this planet. He does. He loves even the wicked. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, the Bible says. He even loves the wicked. He even loves those so far from Him. And, you know, He's always searching out, seeking to save those who are lost. And so, guys, we just got to get that fire. We, we can, we can, this is a luxurious building. We can sit in luxury and stand and listen to messages and praise God. But at the end of the day, hallelujah, it's got to translate into a missional fire. It's got to translate into a fire for prayer. I want Jesus coming back soon, don't you? But it's not going to happen until this gospel of the kingdom is preached in every nation. Hey, Greta and I have got a prophetic word again that we want to share with you tonight. So take your seats and Greta's going to kick off and I shall return. You know what David has just said? You know, I I want more fire of zeal for mission and compassion for the lost. Do you? Let's just ask the Lord to cut right now because we can't work it up. Let's ask the Lord if he will impart that into our hearts now. Would you just lift your hands where you're sitting? Holy Spirit, we thank you that you minister the presence of Jesus, that you come and and in the power of God. And right now, Lord, would you release Holy Spirit into each of our hearts such a fire of compassion for the lost, and such a fire of zeal for mission. Lord, we receive this by faith. And, and Holy Spirit, we ask, would you keep breathing on this fire in our hearts? Let it keep burning stronger and stronger and stronger. That Jesus, we live for you and we live for your cause in the world. Thank you, Lord. Amen. going to briefly share two very short prophetic words. Actually, there's three very short prophetic words. And the first one is on the priority of intimacy. And the date I received it is very significant. It was the first of the first, 2011. Do you see all those ones? And what God was underlying and emphasizing Priority does mean the number one thing. And he was one, one, the number one, the number one that that we, we always remember. And this is what I felt the Lord say. It is more important than ever before that every son and daughter of mine make intimacy with me the first priority in their lives. You know, that, that means that, you know, every day we take time to sit at the feet of Jesus to love him, to worship him, to pray, to read his word. We see a picture of this close relationship in John 13. Jesus is having a meal with his disciples and they're reclining around the table. And then we we read how John leans back against the chest of Jesus and he's so close 
He can hear Jesus' voice, the quietest whisper. He can even hear Jesus' heartbeat. And we must stay close to Jesus' heart like this to know him deeper. And that is really what what he wants is for us to know him deeper. And then last year, I received this prophetic word. It's an invitation. So the first one was the priority of intimacy. This one is an invitation to every single one of us. Listen to the voice of Jesus speaking by the Spirit. Come away with me. Come away with me. In Mark 6.31, Jesus invites the apostles with that same invitation. Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Now the quiet place, it's the place of intimacy, the place of you and me alone, God. And in Song of Songs, we see this invitation repeated over and over. Jesus really means what he says with this precious invitation. Just here are a few extracts. And in in this book, the lover speaks of Jesus. The beloved speaks of us, the church's bride. My lover spoke and said, Arise, my darling, my beautiful one, and come with me. Come with me, my bride. Come with me. We are his bride. He's saying, come with me. You have stolen my heart, my bride. How delightful is your love, my bride. Let me hear your voice. And then the bride responds, and we read in chapter 8, he hears her voice say, come away, my lover. And you see, Jesus so delights in our company and in our love that he longs for his bride to pursue him, to come away with him. It means more than anything else to Jesus. And there is more. Love is quiet resting, and God's voice is like a, a tender whisper. But love is also loud passion, and God's voice can be like the roar of rushing waters, like John and Ezekiel encountered. You know, Jesus is passionate about us, and he is after a deep passion from us. He is after radical lovers of God. And you know, something I I, I was asking this afternoon, um, Lord, what do you want to do tonight? And And this word, passion, that was his answer, passion. Jesus wants to release a fire of passion for him tonight, that we will burn with love for him. And here's the third prophetic thing. In a vision recently, I saw Jesus standing at a river by a roaring waterfall with his hand outstretched like this. And he was issuing an invitation. And he said, come into the river, come under the waterfall. And Psalm 42, verse 1, 2, and 7 is the prophetic scriptures, are the prophetic scriptures. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. My whole being longs for you. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. That's why Jesus says, come under the waterfall. Let all, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. You see, that is the more. Jesus is calling us, inviting us to an even deeper intimacy with him, to an even deeper dimension of his presence we haven't experienced before. 
And if you will pant and thirst and long for more of him, and if you come into the deep and let his waves fall over you, his waves of love and passion and power, you will enter a new depth of intimate presence with Jesus, where there's a deeper revealing of him and there's a deeper knowing of him. And there are wonders in this place of deep intimacy that I haven't got time to go into. But one of the things that happens is in this place of deep intimacy, we are positioned for God's prophetic purposes. I.e., this is something I feel the Lord is saying, one of many things. It is time for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on God's people, like a mighty roaring waterfall of the Holy Spirit from heaven that will utterly soak us. And Jesus will impart a far greater level of power and anointing for unprecedented salvations and healings and miracles. And I sense that this outpouring will overflow. And five nations came to mind, and there might be others, but New Zealand together with Australia, the UK, the USA, and Canada will be part of a great mission-sending nation, um, a move to the nation's of the world. And Lord, let it be. You know, I remember, Julia, I've just remembered. God once gave me, I, he brought Thailand to mind. I've never been there. But God is going to do incredible things. There is going to be a revival in Thailand. There are going to be unprecedented multitudes coming into the kingdom of God. And we need to pray that into being and, and, and those that God sends will go. So right now, the Spirit of the Lord across the, the, His church on the, on the planet, the, He is stirring hearts to awaken a fire of love and passion for Jesus to leap into the deep under the roaring waterfall of the Holy Spirit. I think there's no doubt that the Holy Spirit is issuing a call to intimacy uh, to the people of God throughout the earth. And this was uh, vividly, made, we were made aware of this uh, about a year ago. Um, we were um, in the Gold Coast ministering in a church. It was a dirty job, but somebody had to do it. And uh, it was a tough missionary assignment, I must confess. We thought long and hard about it, but in the end we thought, oh yeah, we'll, we'll go. And... Uh, so we were in the Gold Coast doing this seminar, and we'd done the weekend, done the Sunday morning, and they were having this one-hour service um, from five to six in the evening, and uh, so we were just praying about the meeting, and in, in the afternoon, I felt like the Lord said, I want to release my glory tonight. Now, I thought, wow, that's interesting, because we've been in meetings where the glory of God has come, and there's been unusual manifestations, like people getting oil on their hands, or smelling the perfume of the Lord's presence, or feeling the wind of God or, you know, sensing angels or whatever. And so I was wondering whether those kinds of signs might be going to occur in that 
particular meeting. And um, so we get there and, and, you know, we're worshiping, we share the word of God, and uh, then we go into worship again. And then uh, the Holy Spirit just began to speak to Greta and me, and we began to share, you know, that tonight God is calling people to a closer intimacy with Jesus. And if you want that, why don't you come out the front? And people poured out the front, and some stood, some knelt, some sat, some lay down. And we just began to worship the Lord. And the more we worshiped, the more the presence of Jesus is thickened because glory means weight, splendor, magnificence of his presence. It's at another level of his presence. And I began to sense that the presence of God was coming. And every time we'd say something prophetic, uh, the musicians would just pick it up and create a song on the spot or pull in a song that was appropriate. And this thing just kept going. We were about an hour and a half now. And so I leaned over to the pastor. I said, do you want to stop it? No, keep it going. And we kept it going. And the kids came in and got part of it. And you know, finally, we, we finished that meeting after two and a half hours. And because Jesus' presence had been so amazing, and we were just lost in his presence. But we came out of that feeling like the Holy Spirit was saying that that was not just an isolated incident for that church, but what happened that night is actually a universal call that the Holy Spirit is issuing to the church worldwide to have a greater intimate connection with Jesus. And I looked up that word intimacy in the dictionary, and this is what it means. It means a close or warm friendship, a belonging together. A close or warm friendship, a belonging together. And Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends if you do what I say. Psalm 25, 14 says, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. That word fear means revere him, honor him, put him first. Uh, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And I love the story that many of us would know um, found in Luke 10, 38 to 42. Jesus comes to this village of Bethany, and there's this amazing hospitable lady called Martha, and she opens her home to Jesus and those hungry apostles, like Peter was a fisherman. I think he could put away a good meal, I'm sure. And so it says in Luke 10, 38 to 42, Jesus and the disciples came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you're worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it and it will not be taken away from her. You've got to understand Middle Eastern culture, because my ancestors are from the Middle East, and so when you invite guests into your home, it is a really big deal. Like, you know, it's just, there's a whole honor system, and you basically incredibly honor the people coming into your home by putting on a feast. You know, when when we would have family gatherings, my mother uh, would be making food for three days putting it in the fridge, putting it in the freezer. So when the mealtime came, that table was just incredibly laden with all these amazing goodies because that's the hospitality of the Middle East. You do that. And um, Middle Easterners like food, and, and they celebrate around that. So what Martha was doing was actually just a legitimate Middle Eastern custom, and Jesus wasn't telling her off for preparing a meal. But he was saying, listen, Martha... You got your priorities wrong. Mary's got her priorities right. 
See, Martha's a practical person. She's like a pragmatist. Pract- if there's anything practical, she's going to do it. She's just the practical person. Her sister Mary, she's wired differently. She's a mystic. Like she just loves worship and prayer and Jesus is in the house and she's sitting at his feet. And you know, in the church, we've got both types of people. We've got mystical people. We've got practical people. And sometimes the practical people say to the mystical people, stop being so spiritual and just do something. And then the mystical people say to the practical people, well, you're so unspiritual, you don't even pray about stuff. And you get this little war going on. But you know, God wants us to understand he's gifted us all differently. And the practical people need to learn from the mystical people that it's really good to seek God and the mystical people need to learn from the practical people. Sometimes you've got to come down off the mountain of God's glory and just be in the trenches doing stuff. And I'm, I'm sure nobody here is afflicted with that kind of thing because you're all so perfect. But, you know, I think what Jesus was saying is that we need to not sit after serving, but serve after sitting. That's what we need to do. And so often we, are, we serve, 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 and then we, oh, I need a rest, and we sit. And, but no, Jesus is saying, no, 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 sit first, then serve. Someone said, without solitude, it is almost impossible to live a spiritual life. Without solitude. And solitude in this modern era is one of the hardest things for people to get because everything screams at you. Social media. TV, other, other forms of media is just incessant, but without solitude. I remember the story of a, of a wonderful missionary statesman called Walter Butler. His photo's coming up uh, on the screen. And uh, he gave 40 years of his life to serving the Lord on the, on the mission field or being a missionary statesman and ministering everyone. When he, when he retired, he said to the Lord, you know, Lord, all my ministry life, 40 years, I've prayed for blessing on our ministry. I've, I've studied your word to get messages, to share with others, to bless them. But right now, Lord, from now on, I'm just going to do those things for you. Like I'm just going to read your word just to get to know you better. I'm going to, I'm going to pray just to, just to love you. And so he began, uh, I'm sure he'd done it all, all his life, but uh, now, you know, every morning he got up at 6 a.m. I'm sure he'd been doing that all his life, but now it was for just sitting at the feet of Jesus. So he would go into his office. There was a big armchair that faced out the window, had the back of the chair to the office door. He'd shut the office door. He'd go and sit in that armchair and he'd open up his Bible and he'd just begin to meditate on the scriptures and, and you know, just discovering who God was, not trying to get a sermon, not feeling like oh, I've got to read my Bible and, you know, just tick that off, but just, I'm going to get to know God today and, and just, you know, quietly meditating and maybe praying and telling the Lord that he loved him and worshiping him. And, and he was doing this every morning for six weeks. And after about six weeks, one morning, he heard heard these footsteps coming down the hallway and he thought, that's unusual. I didn't think my wife would be up right now. And they stopped outside the door of the office. The door swung open. The footsteps walked in and the room filled with the presence of Jesus. And he literally saw Jesus with his eyes come into the room and Jesus was visiting him. Jesus came to the back of the chair and just stood over him. And Walter Butler just was lost in the presence of Jesus. Just had his eyes shut, worshiping the Lord. And then after a little while he felt all these water drops falling on him and he looked up into the face of Jesus and Jesus is weeping over Walter Butler and Walter Butler said Lord why are you weeping and Jesus said it's because I so love 
your friendship. Wow. Did you know that your intimacy with him moves his heart? Did you know that he not only loves you, but he likes you? Some of you don't even like yourself, but he does. And he loves time with you because you're precious to him. And the devil is so jealous of that relationship, he will do everything he possibly can to keep us distracted, busy, whatever, so that we don't get those times of sitting at his feet. Paul put it like this in 2 Corinthians 11, verses 2 to 3. I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself, for I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow you'll be led away from your pure and simple devotion to Christ, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent. Paul had led this church to Christ. He'd preached to them. They'd come to Christ, and he felt like a, a jealousy over them, that they were like his children. And, uh, but he said, look, he said, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And Paul was a pretty fearless man, but this was his one fear. He said, I'm afraid that the devil is going to lead you astray from a pure and a simple devotion to Christ, because that's what Christianity is. It's a pure, it's not religion, it's not obeying a lot of rules, it's a pure and simple devotion to Jesus. When you have a pure and simple devotion to Jesus, you will live a holy life, you will find yourself obeying all the rules, uh, maybe stumbling at times, but getting up again, because you're radically in love with Him, so you don't want to do things that will grieve His Holy Spirit. But Paul, Paul said it's subtle, God. And there's not many of us in this room that would just deliberately turn away from God, but it's much more subtle. And Eve didn't wake up in the Garden of Eden, awesome paradise, and say, well, today I'm going to rebel against God. It came upon us seductively. She was seduced into that rebellion by a lie of the enemy. And it sounded so reasonable. It sounded so good. And before she knew it, she'd eaten the fruit, and there was a disconnect between Adam and Eve and the God that created them. And the fall came, and the curse came. And you know, sometimes you and I, the enemy can deceive us and lead us astray from a pure and simple devotion. And you don't even know it's happening. But one day you wake up and you see, I feel so distant from God. And the reason is that you feel so distant is you've slipped sideways because the enemy has led you astray. You know, the church is the bride. It's many things in the Bible. It's a house because it's got structure. It's a temple because it, the presence of God is there. It's, uh, it's an army because it's militant and it's advancing the kingdom. It's a body because we all need one another. It's a family because we're brothers and sisters. But it's also a bride. And that imagery of the bride is going to increase the nearer we get to the coming of the Lord because it speaks of devotion. It speaks of love. It speaks of purity. It speaks of a longing for our bridegroom to come. And God is coming back for people that are in love with him. I'm, I've told this story before in this church some time ago. Some of you won't have heard it, but I'm going to tell it again. I remember when my first wife, Jane, was alive, and uh, I shared this morning how she had multiple sclerosis, and I was her caregiver uh, for 16 or so years. And I remember partway through that time of caregiving where she'd become so incapacitated through that disease, and, um, and I was feeling sad, and I was feeling the pain of what we'd lost. And and um, and I was thinking, like, gosh, we can um, we can no longer just go for a walk on the beach and hold hands. We can't stand at the front of a church together and 
and minister to people. We can't just be spontaneous and say, let's just go out for a coffee. Because when you're in a wheelchair, you've got to really plan everything. And I was feeling, I guess, a degree of pain and sorrow for myself. And I was thinking back to our wedding when she was full of health and that disease was in remission. We got a photo of Jane and me on my wedding day, on our wedding day. Now, no rude comments about all the hair, okay? We just, we just had lots of hair back then. All right, I'm sure Paul was, did you have long hair? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yes, I could picture it. All right. And uh, so that's Jade and me on our wedding day. And yes, she's in the picture of health. And, and I'm just thinking back, Lord, it was once like that. And, and out of the pain of my heart just came this like this cry from the depths of my spirit to the Lord. And I prayed for healing many times, but I didn't this day cry out for healing. I said, Jesus, I want my bride back. And he spoke to me. And it wasn't audible, but it could have been because it was so clear in my mind. And what he said just cut right through my self-pity. He said, I know how you feel. I want my bride back too. And I felt his pain. I felt his pain for his church. I didn't love Jane any less because she is in a wheelchair. I just loved her the same. Jesus doesn't love his church any less because we're imperfect. But because he loves us so much, he wants us in that place of pure and simple devotion. He wants the church not to be a religious organization on the earth, but a bride radically in love with him. And as Greta says, a bride in army boots that will march through the, the earth, bringing others into this incredible relationship with Jesus. You know, there's this thing called the fellowship of his sufferings. Paul talks about it in Philippians 3. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, fellowship of his sufferings. I never knew what that was until that moment. I used to think it was when we suffer, Jesus kindly comes and fellowships with us and gets us through the suffering, which is half the truth. But the other half of the truth is that when we suffer, if we will listen, we might just hear his pain. And in knowing his pain, there is an fellowship that you have in that moment of mutual pain. I felt so close to Jesus in that moment where he kindly revealed his heart to me. And in the midst of my pain, he reveals his pain. And I thought, Lord, we're going through the same thing together. Some One pastor said, every situation of pain is an invitation into the heart of Jesus. Every situation of pain is an invitation to go deeper into the heart of Jesus. But often our pain is screaming so loud, it, it shouts out, drowns out that still small voice of God. So you come into my heart, son and daughter. That's how I feel about stuff. You might be feeling pained about a family member that is not yet in the kingdom, a husband or a wife, a son or a daughter, a grandchild. You, you're so grieved that they're not walking with the Lord. You know what? God has grieved over 5 billion people that don't know him. What about that pain? So that ought to motivate us. Jane passed away and God healed my heart of the grief and brought greater into my life. She'd lost her husband, Ron. And, you know, some time later, I'm standing at the front of another church at another wedding, mine, waiting for another bride to come down the aisle. And we got a picture of our, our Greta's in my wedding day. Yeah, I look good there. Thank you. It's a, 
Oh, you were talking about Greta? Okay, all right, okay. And, um, and you know, as Greta is walking down the aisle, Jesus just whispers in my ear, I've given you your bride back. And I said, I don't think that's exactly how I thought it would happen, Lord, but that's cool. That's really good. First bride promoted to heaven, given member bride back. And a prophetic friend, after our wedding, she said, you know what? She said, I feel like your first marriage was a sign of Jesus longing for his church to become a healthy, beautiful bride in the earth. And your second marriage is a sign Jesus is going to have his church, a beautiful bride in the earth. And the way that that's going to happen is if we radically fall in love with him and spend time with him. And you may not know how to be intimate with the Lord, but it just involves getting quiet. It involves getting a quiet place, uh, uh, maybe the armchair of your lounge, uh, where you open the Bible and you read it and you talk to him. Maybe your bed, where you lie on your bed and you listen to worship music and you just love him and you praise him. Maybe just a stretch of floor in the lounge where you walk up and down talking to the Lord. Maybe a strip of beach that you love to walk on and commune with Jesus and praise him. Maybe some part in the bush where you go for a bush walk and it's you and God and creation. And it could be all those things, but it's a place. It's a place. It's not just the driver's wheel behind the driver's wheel of your car. I love the fact we can 24-7 talk to God anywhere, anytime. You can be vacuuming. You can be uh, someone got healed yesterday and now has to do the vacuuming. Or you were doing the vacuuming, but it was painful. Now you're healed. You can do even more vacuuming, Paul. It's wonderful. You can be talking to the Lord doing all that stuff. But Jesus said, when you pray, go into your bedroom, shut the door, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. There's got to be a place of intimacy. I mean, we can have intimacy in a sense of we're conscious of the presence of God. But when you draw aside, when you take time out in your day, when you take a half an hour, an hour, whatever it's going to be, because, you know, we can waste time. But when you prioritize that time, and yes, you've got a lot of stuff to do like Martha had, but Jesus said, when you choose to sit at his feet, that's the good thing. That's the good thing. Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20 and 21 to a lukewarm church, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious over that lukewarmness will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. I don't know if there's many lukewarm people here today. I don't think there are. But I think maybe are there some people that are distracted, too busy, trying to do it all yourself instead of letting him do it through you? Because this invitation is for you. And I haven't got time to justify it, but this church was the worst of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The Laodicean church was the worst church, and Jesus makes the best promise to them. I reckon that's because the lukewarm spirit is the hardest one to overcome because it just sneaks up on you. And before you know it, you've been led astray. That edge, that fire, that passion for Jesus just goes out a bit. Before you know it, you're not hot anymore. If our dream, and I'm going to close on this, if our dream is to go deep with Jesus in the secret place, then whatever happens, 
to your other dreams, your dream for a vocation, your dream for a career, your dream for a relationship. Those are all good dreams to have, your dream to do something of worth in the kingdom of God or in life. Those are all good dreams, but they are lesser, they are secondary. If your primary dream is to love him and go deeper with him and know him all the days of your life, then when your secondary dream runs out because you retire from that business, you retire from from that career. You retire from that ministry. It's no longer what you're going to do anymore. When, when, you, when those things may be taken from you through retirement, through age, through sickness, or through you've just fulfilled it. And, and for some people, if you don't make Jesus the dream, then when those secondary dreams are taken away, you're going to feel empty. You're going to feel adrift. You're not, not, not going to know what to do. But if he's the dream, all the days of your life, if you're 95, 99, and that dream of doing stuff is now a distant memory, but you've still got a dream alive in your heart, and that dream is, Jesus, I'm heading for heaven. I want to know you better now than I've ever done in my life. Your dream is to go deeper with him. Your dream is to love him. Your dream is to stay passionate for him, not just in your 30s or 40s, but in your 80s, in your 90s, and in your noughties, if you reach them, whatever. Your dream is Jesus. When you make him your dream, all those other secondary dreams can be taken from you, but you are still satisfied. You are still satisfied because you got him. Let's pray, music team, if you'd like to come. Why don't you take 30, 60 seconds just to talk to the Lord? Um, Do you need to kind of, have you been led astray through busyness, through distraction, through, you know, Martha, I think maybe, you know, we often get a little bit like Martha. Jesus didn't scold her. He loved her. Martha was one of his favorites. He just says, Martha, you just got it wrong. And God doesn't scold us tonight. He's just waiting. He's issuing this call to invitation, to intimacy. And maybe you just need to say to him, Lord, I'm kind of blowing that a bit, but I just want to come back. Would you put that fresh fire in me? And, and maybe some of you, you're already there. Yeah, I'm in passionate love with Jesus. Well, let me tell you, there's more. There's more. And uh, it's good to be hungry for more. Why don't you tell him, God, I just want more of you.